Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. I'll have an interview with new Union College men's hockey assistant coach T.J. Manisterski that I conducted late in the summer. The New York Mets will have an interesting offseason. They fired manager Luis Rojas on Monday after the team collapsed over the final two months of the season. And there will be some interesting player decisions to be made. Here to talk about is friend of the podcast, Newsday Mets beat writer Tim Healy. Tim, welcome to the podcast, and do you have your uh, resume into the Mets? <laughs> I'll have to do a little brushing up my resume. I'm not sure it's suited for this particular opening, but uh, I'm sure the Mets are going to have plenty of people interested in the job. Well, let's start with the, the Rojas situation. I mean, I guess it wasn't a surprise. I mean, they had a losing record last year, albeit it was a pandemic year. Uh, and But this team was in first place for most of the year. What, what happened, and was it all Rojas' fault? Um, no, no, I don't think it's Rojas's fault at all. Rojas was not the problem with the 2021 Mets. Um, he lost his job basically because of the circumstances the Mets are in. They're looking for a new president of baseball operations, and they want to be able to tell that guy or those people who interview for it, you can hire a manager if you take your job, uh, if, if you take this job. And that's, you know, something that has not been true for recent Mets general managers. Um, as far as what happened for, with the 2021 Mets, to me, it's as simple as they were never that good to begin with. Yes, they were in hundred play uh, in first place for more than 100 days, but that's mostly because the NL East stunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, they when they were in first place, they had a very big opportunity to run away with the division, and they never did that. And then as soon as their pitching regressed to what it was in the second half, then, you know, they had no shot because the bats never came around. So 2021 Mets, first place for a long time, fell apart in the second half, but really they were never that good. I mean, what, I think that, you know, we look back early in the year, I think maybe there should have been some signs there when they fired the hitting coach. Yeah, Chili Davis was let go early in the season. And it just never seemed that the, as you mentioned, the Mets offense never came around. I mean, uh, Francisco Lindor did not have a great year. Uh, you know, I think Conforto struggled a little bit. Uh, so, you know, what, what happened to the offense? Was, was, it was supposed to be so good, and then it really, like I said, never came around. Yeah, I, I don't think those individuals know what happened. I don't think the Mets know what happened. I don't think the, any of the four hitting coaches they had in 2021 know what happened. But you're right, go down the list. Lindor, Conforto. McNeil, Dom Smith, uh, James McCann. Um, did I say Conforto? Conforto's yes. definitely on the list. Yeah. Um, basically, anybody other than Brandon Nimmo and Pete Alonso did not live up to expectations among hitters. Uh, so why that happened, they're probably trying to figure it out right now. Uh, but they, it, one possibility is that they essentially got unlucky that so many important hitters had down years in the same year right every every year every team will come any given team will come into a season and 
Some guys will overperform to their career numbers, and some guys will underperform. And it just so happened that this year, most of the Mets underperformed. I mean, I guess in a weird way, Jacob DeGrom may have been the best hitter on the team. <laughs> yeah, yep. He uh, had quite a little run there for a couple months. <laughs> well, let's, yeah, let's talk about that Jacob DeGrom situation. I mean, he was pitching great. Uh, he missed some time early, and, and then all of a sudden, after the All-Star break, he's not there, and they're saying it's a sprained elbow. And to me, it seems like, you know, I'm, as an outsider, it seems like they mismanaged the whole DeGrom situation. Uh, it, it also seems like it could be worse than just a sprained elbow. I mean, are they really worried it could be end up, maybe they take a look, take a look at the offseason, and they, uh, DeGrom could have to have Tommy John surgery. Yeah, no, nobody's mentioned that yet, but it does feel like, well, I'll put it this way. Going into the offseason and going into 2022, Jacob DeGrom is a huge question mark. You don't know what his health situation is going to be. You don't really know what's going on with his elbow. Um, so, yeah, that is the big fear that, that everybody's worried about. Um, he did not speak to reporters, really, for the last uh, two months of the season. So it's hard to tell even what he is thinking about his elbow or his health or what it's going to be like this offseason or going into spring training or even what he thinks about his opt-out next year because Jacob deGrom is able to opt out of his contract after the 2022 season. Uh, so if he has surgery, obviously, he will not be doing that. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of unanswered questions with Jacob deGrom and uh, – <laughs> the answers to those questions will go a long way toward telling you what the 2022 Mets are going to be able to do. Yeah, I think what Sandy Alderson described it as a bruise, and you know, it's you know, it's sort of a tear is like it's a bruise, and it's like you know, it just seems more than just a bruise. And uh, but it's not, no, no, it's, it's not a bruise. Sandy was trying to go with some. He's Sandy was extremely defensive that day uh, because he slipped and acknowledged that Jacob Degrom's injury, which they had previously called inflammation, was actually a partially torn UCL, which is the Tommy John ligament. Yeah. And then he was trying to downplay the idea that a partial tear or a slight tear was a big deal at all. And then said something like bruises are also partial tears, which is not not correct. <laughs> um, so that was a, that was an interesting day for sure. That, that That's the only reason we know Jacob DeGrom had a sprained elbow because Sandy Alderson accidentally said it. Yeah, that's just a that's that just a, just a mess there. But uh, well, let's talk about some of the potential candidates for at least the managerial job, or you know, let's even maybe go with the the president of baseball operations. Uh, there's a lot of talk out there about Billy Bean, who's uh, running the Oakland A's, maybe as a as a possibility to come take over the match. I mean, Billy Bean's done a great job in Oakland over the years with a tight budget. Could he handle New York with a big budget? I think he could handle it. Whether he wants to is the bigger question, I think. Uh, the three big candidates, three big names that you hear attached to this Mets job are Billy Bean, Theo Epstein, and David Stearns. Those are the three big fish, and really that's the level of baseball executive that the Mets need to shoot for. That, that sort of experienced, successful person. Whether that's Billy Bean, I'm not so sure. He does have, of course, a relationship with Sandy Alderson, 
He once upon a time was Sandy Alderson's mentee with the A's. And eventually when Sandy left Oakland, it was Billy Bean who took over and became Moneyball, et cetera, after Sandy Alderson laid the groundwork. Um, and then when Sandy Alderson had his Mets interlude for a couple of years there, after he left the Mets before coming back under Steve Cohen, he was a special assistant type of person for Billy Bean in the A's. So um, the relationship is there. Whether Billy Bean wants to leave the comfort of Oakland for New York and a, a bigger job, a harder job, a historically extremely difficult job <laughs> um, <laughs> remains to be seen. But the Mets are at least going to ask. And of course, a lot of I mean, I'm you know obviously the media there in New York is obviously ten times larger than in Oakland. Of course, they uh, yeah, they, they think they'll, they'll, they'll be under, under the microscope a lot more in New York than in Oakland. Yeah, definitely under the microscope. Um, just brighter spotlight. That's what that's what New York's all about, right? Nobody really cares in Oakland, but in New York, a lot of people care. For some people, that's an attractive piece of the job, and for others, not so much. Yeah. Well, as far as the managerial uh, prospects out there, you know, we're hearing the you know, Buck Showalter, and if if Bean does come to uh, New York, maybe he could bring Bob Melvin with him. Uh, what kind of manager do the Mets need at this point? I think the Mets would serve themselves well to have an experienced manager. Each of their past three managerial hires have been rookies, and that obviously has not worked out. From you know, ever since Terry Collins, it was Mickey Calloway, Carlos Beltran, Luis Rojas, and, and for various reasons, none of those guys uh, stayed in the job for very long. So I think this time. Uh, you know, somebody who has managed before would be a good idea. Is Buck Schultz or that kind of guy? Uh, he has managed before, certainly. I'm not sure that in 2022 any teams are uh, jumping at the bit to hire Buck Showalter. Um, so we'll see what happens there, I guess. Yeah. Of course, a lot of the big story with the Mets this year, too, was the fact that the uh, players were booing the fans with the thumbs down, uh, Javi yeah. Baez leading the way. How embarrassed were the Mets was the Mets organization with that, and uh, why would these guys even do it? You know, knowing the fact I mean, these you know, the fans are passionate. We know, you know, of course, I'm from Philadelphia. We know passion, and we like to boo as well. But you you went last year without fans, and then you have fans coming, and they they're expecting a winner, and you guys the, the team is struggling the way it is, and to to do what they did, it just it seemed really disingenuous and disrespectful. Extremely disrespectful. Totally bizarre. Bizarre that they would do it, and then bizarre that they would admit it. Um, very strange saga, um, among the many strange sagas the Mets had this season. Um, but why would they do it? I, I don't know. Um, the booing from fans to players happened started early in the season, and Francisco Lindor was a target within his first month with the team, and he seemed really bitter about that all season. Even when he started hitting better, um, there were multiple occasions where he talks on Zoom after the game, after his successful games for him and the team, and he made reference to booing, like, oh, I don't hear anybody booing now, or as I circled the bases, I was listening to hear if there were any boos, and it's just, it was a very bizarre tone and approach by Lindor. So clearly it got to him. Clearly, being booed as a Met at home bothered him a lot. And then that manifested itself with 
him and his good buddy Javier Baez being the ringleaders on the thumbs down thing. And, uh, you know, basically, you know, you know, they used their thumb for the, to, to boo the fans, but it was basically another finger they were using. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that, that, that was very bizarre. And, and I think raises questions about Lindor's ability to handle New York. Anyway, so sort of like it reminds me back when Bobby Bonilla was signed with the Mets, and then he couldn't. I, he, he seemed he couldn't handle being in the in the spotlight. Uh, obviously, you, you go you've been a small market like Cleveland with Lindor, and then Pittsburgh with Bonilla, and you don't get that kind of pressure. But when you sign the big bucks like uh, these guys do, and then they're underperforming, you, you gotta expect some uh, negative reaction. Absolutely, and, and, and for for fans probably anywhere, but especially in New York, it's so simple. Fans like it when you play well, and they don't like it when you play poorly, right? It is it is that simple. If you play well and if you win, no booing, no problems. You'll be the golden boy. Um, so it's a really simple formula, and I think this year Francisco Lindor learned a lot about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- Player-wise, I mean, Baez, I believe, is a free agent. Conforto, uh, what what happens with these guys? Um, it's it's going to be a really interesting case-by-case thing. I think with Syndergaard and Conforto, the qualifying offers, I think, a no-brainer. That's the one-year deal worth about $20 million that, uh, you know, in both those guys' cases, for Conforto after a down year and Syndergaard after – basically a missed year it would allow them to restore their value and give free agency another shot after next season so i think that makes sense for both for in both their cases um and then Baez, you know Baez and stroman are kind of the two other big names um and i'm not super confident that they're going to be back with the mets um but they should i i think uh experience a strong market for their services so uh, we'll see what kind of contracts they end up with. I'm not sure either will reach uh, – well, I guess I should put it this way. They probably will land a nine-figure contract, but if I was running a team, I'm not sure I would give that to either guy. Yeah. You, know, you mentioned Syndergaard. He finally got the pitch in the game late in the season. How did he look, and what are his prospects? I mean, does he feel healthy? He says he's healthy. He says that in his view, he has proven he is healthy. I'm not so sure. It was just two innings, you know, one inning and each in a pair of games. He threw his fastball in the mid-90s. One of the innings was successful against the Marlins, and the other inning against the Braves was not successful. He got smacked around, um, and he didn't throw a breaking ball. So when you look at the extremely small workload, uh, the mid-90s fastball and the no-breaking balls because doctors told him not to because it might bother his elbow – uh, to me, Noah Syndergaard has not proven he's healthy. Uh, I can't imagine that teams would want to make a very large or long investment in him this offseason, which, again, is why I think the qualifying offer uh, makes most sense. Come back to the Mets. He's been open about how he wants to stay with the Mets. He's practically begging for the qualifying offer about a week ago. Um, so uh, that, to me, makes most sense. What Mets player surprised you the most of me that you didn't expect much from this year? Uh, Aaron Loop. Yeah, got, got it. Can't have a year-end uh, Mets conversation without mentioning Aaron Loop. The guy had a 0.95 ERA, which is a Mets record 
for anybody who has pitched at least 20 innings in a season. So um, he was excellent on the mound, uh, a delight to talk to uh, off the field. Um, so uh, he had a really good one. But the fact that a middle reliever is the first name to come to mind and maybe the only name to come to mind uh, really speaks to how disappointing the 2021 Mets were. Is there one particular Mets that was disappointing that you expected more from? Uh, yeah, I think Francisco Lindor has to be at the top of that list, which is a long list. Uh, he got off to an awful start, was better at the end, but on the whole was just mediocre. And this is a guy who needs to be much better than mediocre um, or else he's never really going to win the fans over. Uh, but also on that list are Jeff McNeil, who had an absolutely terrible year. Dominic Smith, absolutely terrible year. Um, and then, you know, Conforto was kind of middling, but you expect a lot more from him. So Lindor at the top of that list with plenty of guys below him. Does Conforto come back? I mean, a lot of emotions there. I mean, he's been in the Mets organization a long time, and uh, what are his prospects of coming back? I think if he takes the qual, if he receives and accepts the qualifying offer, he'll be back, of course. But if if that's if that situation is a no go, I'm not I'm not confident that he'll receive a, the type of long term or even medium term contract from the Mets that he would that he would want. For the Mets to compete and uh, challenge the Braves uh, for the NL East title in 2022, what do they specifically need to improve on? Uh, Boy, that's a good question. To improve on as a team, they need to improve on hitting. I'm not sure what form that will take because a lot of these hitters might not be around next season. So whichever hitters are in the lineup, they're going to need to perform to their career norms, right? Take this take this year's team as an example. They didn't need to be otherworldly, any individual guy. But if the four or five or six underperforming guys had just hit the way they historically have hit in their career, then the Mets would have been much better off. So for 2022, that's, that's the biggest thing. Is there a timetable for the Mets to name a new manager? No, there isn't, because that's going to be up to whoever the new baseball boss is whoever they end up hiring for that job that person will be able to hire a manager um so that's going to have to happen first before they hire a manager so is there a timetable for that then is uh alderson looking for somewhere like next couple weeks or because of the playoffs they just sort of like the major league baseball likes to you know you know hopefully stifle this major announcements it's hard to tell If, if they end up on billy bean or theo epstein if billy bean season is over theo epstein is a free agent then it could happen fast um, you know, MLB doesn't like it when other teams make news during the playoffs, but they can always, you know, do it on an off day or something like that. That wouldn't be too big of a hurdle. Um, but if, if the Mets should do everything in their power to get this going quickly because they have a lot of work to do this offseason. And if this is something that lingers into November, you know, at, through the World Series, then they're just going to be behind the eight ball again. Yeah. Well, it's going to be an interesting all season with the Mets, and uh, yeah, we'll reach out to you once again, Tim, once uh, they do have a manager in place. We can talk a little more about that. And uh, It's going to be a fun – you're going to be busy. No, uh, no off season for you, I guess. <laughs> At least not yet. There, there will be eventually, but not yet. <laughs> no, so, well, Tim, as usual, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, talking to the Mets, and uh, we'll, talk, uh, we'll talk soon. Happy to. Thank you. All right, that's Tim Hilly of Newsday up next. 
I'll have an interview with new Union Men's College Hockey Assistant Coach T.J. Manisterski. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Sign up for the Daily Gazette Sports Newsletter. The newsletter, which comes out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. It's been a trying year for parents. They've been confronted with countless challenges and have always risen to the occasion. If it isn't too much to ask, the 370,000 high school student athletes in New York have one last request. Please set an example. Disorderly fan conduct at high school athletic events is on the rise. It increasingly involves parents. There's no question that parents are passionate. There's no question they care about their children. But at a time when we're all wound a little more tightly than usual, it's worth remembering this about New York high school sports. Always be a good example. Stop unruly fan behavior before it starts. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Union College football coach Jeff Behrman. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. The Union College men's hockey season plays in a game that counts for the first time since the end of the 2019-20 season this weekend when it visits New Hampshire for two games starting Friday. I will be having a college hockey-centric podcast on Thursdays, but I have some bonus material for you now. Late in the summer, I spoke with new Union men's hockey assistant coach T.J. Manisterski. He joined Union after serving as head coach of Division III Curry College. Manisterski is active on social media, and that was one of the topics we discussed in the interview. Sure. You are you know, more than a, a, a hockey coach. You do a lot of social media stuff. I see you do a blog. You do a uh, podcast newsletter a, a youtube uh, you have a youtube channel what is it like is this the modern day coaching now you, you get got to get, get out there on social media well i think so i think certainly uh there, there you can use social media as a tool um what i found is that it's also a great way to learn and what sort of started for me getting into that some of that media stuff was um, really when the pandemic hit and you know I'd always had these thoughts of you know, hey maybe I do a podcast and I've always enjoyed writing I was actually an English major in college and uh, I, I had a little bit more time on my hands there you know just over, I guess a year and a half ago when, when the pandemic really hit in and so I started really small I thought hey this would be something fun to do I sort of, my first few interviews, there was some friends of mine, and I wrote a couple of things, and I found that uh, a couple of, a few amazing things came out of it. Uh, one was I was learning a lot, and, you know, when you write something, you know, as you do, when you write a story, uh, you really have to bring a lot of clarity to whatever that thought is, and and it really forces you to drill down onto what your your thoughts are, your philosophy, so you got this idea bouncing around in your head when you have to put it down on paper and then endeavor to share it with people in the public space, uh, you know, you, you got to give some thought to that and bring some clarity to it. 
And uh, with the podcast, you get to have very interesting conversations with interesting people and, and learn. And so those are the, the, the things that came out of it that were outstanding. But then the other thing that I did not anticipate was just the, the relationships that got built through that. The people that I know now uh, through various, uh, I guess, spider web of connections and offshoots from doing this stuff has been really remarkable. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's also it's also helped me at uh, quite a bit in recruiting as well back where I was at Curry College. Yeah, uh, when you said obviously with the pandemic, you had a lot of time. As this as this grew, did you realize that this could be something special and helpful? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I had a lot of feed. I've had a lot of feedback from people, you know, that have enjoyed it and and appreciate the things that I put out there. And, and for me, I think it's, it's really been about just my growth, you know. So I think it's in one, in one way it's sort of selfless and, and putting myself out there and I think sharing some ideas. But it's also selfish in the sense that you know, I think I'm taking way more from this than, than anybody else just, just through the learning and growth of, of, of doing these things. And uh, it's really been an interesting journey that I've enjoyed. And uh, one of the challenges is, though, you know, as, as life returns to more normal and your schedule becomes full with uh, the other things that, you know, that are your, you know, the, your job, then your time is a little bit tighter. But, you know, I've also learned through, the, like, some of the technology and stuff, you, you know, some things can be automated and you can be a little more efficient. And, uh, so I have no idea where it's going, Ken. Uh, I, I envision that I'll continue in some shape or form. I've really enjoyed the newsletter aspect of it, you know, once a month putting something out to people that have subscribed and, uh, and just building communities and, and, and relationships with people has been a lot of fun. Is there anybody we would know that you've had on the podcast that people would recognize? Oh, well in the hockey world, uh, sure. I mean, think of the last, uh, I think I've had about 30, 30 episodes or so it's been it's been a few months since i've done one yeah. uh the last one was real one of one of my favorites was uh, uh mike weiskup who's an athletic director at colby college and he's actually a retired navy seal purple heart uh the whole deal <laughs> pretty impressive guy and and just a great uh it was a master class in leadership the whole conversation i've had the head coach of sc burn and the uh johan lundskog he was recent so that's the top league in Switzerland. Uh, I've had uh, former assistant coaches that work with me that are all doing great things now. So Steve Wheedler, who's at U- University of Vermont. Ryan Orsofsky, who's a head coach in the American Hockey League. Um, you know, the list kind of goes on. There's been, been a lot of interesting people. You going to have Rick Bennett on? <laughs> they, well, we got to... <laughs> I, I I imagine at some point we will. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's um, but but we're not there today. Yeah. <laughs> what have, what have you learned about I me? Mean, how much how much enjoyment do you get of being in you know, in effect you're in the media with with this podcast with the YouTube channel? With, I mean, do you, do you do you like being in the media? You know what? It's it's a, that's an interesting question because. Every time I press send on a on a blog or or upload a podcast, I still get the same feeling of you know like you're putting yourself out there. You're you're, you're vulnerable. You are uh, opening yourself up to maybe some criticism 
and and you get inside of your own head a little bit. Uh, so I, I, I'm curious to see if that ever goes away. It has not yet. So to say, do I like it? I mean, yeah, like, listen, I think we all get a hit of dopamine when we get a text or a like on their Twitter. So sure, you like that stuff, but... Um, but it, it, it is, it comes, it's, listen, like, especially in the hockey culture where, you know, it's all about the team. And uh, as coaches, you know, we've really, and players, you really don't put yourself out there. And you're, and you're almost, you're almost in grade not to. So when you are putting yourself out there, it doesn't feel all that comfortable sometimes. Uh, you know, but that would be the only drawback of it, honestly, Ken. And because all the other things I mentioned, the positives just so far outweigh any drawbacks uh, that I've seen. Yeah, I mean, how important is this in this day and age of social media? I mean, even Rick Bennett's now on Twitter. Uh, how important is it to be out there? Well, I, I think it is important. I think you want to be using it as a tool to, uh, you know, tell a story, right? Yeah. And that story is you, whatever your story is. That story is of the the team or the organization that you represent. And uh, I think that, you know, players and families would like to know more about the people that their sons or, you know, or, or daughters are going to go play for in college. And, and here's a way to, to share some, th- some things about your ideas, your philosophy, your personality. And I think when you do that, you're being more very clear about who you are. So you end up attracting people that, that are more, more often than not a good fit. Because they know they know what they're getting into, and I think that like it, it's a bit of a magnet that way. Yeah. Uh, how much influence do you have in Rick on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> None. That that happened. Uh, that happened just just before, just around the same time. Uh, my influence will be getting getting him to actually tweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I'm looking at your bio here. I mean, you were at Curry College, uh, head coach there. How old were you when they hired you as head coach? Uh, so I was like 28, turning 29, okay. right around like in that period of time when I was getting hired. That's that's pretty young for a head coach. But I, were you ready? For, did you feel you were ready for it at that time? Oh, sure. I felt I was ready, and then you get in the job, <laughs> and then you know things come at you pretty fast, and. Uh, you know, those first few years were were amazing growth uh, opportunities for me. And I learned a lot. I made a lot of mistakes. I did a lot of good things. But I probably didn't even look up or, you know, put my head up for air for probably four years. You know, it, it took me probably four years to really become clear about who I was as a head coach and, you know, things that I believed in and uh, as far as, you know, leadership style and style of play and, Communication, you know, all those kinds of things. I mean, you're running your own program, and then this uh, offer comes from Rick Bennett. I mean, was it a difficult decision because you hear you're running your program program in Division Three, but at the same time, here's a chance to uh, move up to Division One and maybe you know start a career that way. Yeah, I mean, I think you summarized it pretty well. Uh, the Division One thing is nice to work with the top players. Uh, it is exciting. You know, guys that want to play in the NHL and and have the actual chance to play in the NHL. Like that is for somebody who dedicates their their life, their professional career to coaching, to to work with athletes at that level is certainly exciting. I've never really thought about 
hey, I, I have to be a Division One coach. Like, I, I had thought I had my dream job. I did have my dream job yeah. when I got that coaching job at Curry. And, uh, you know, I think as time goes on, you grow and uh, you, you, not to say you're ever comfortable as a, as a coach because every day is different. There's so many challenges, but I started to find a, a comfort zone, so to speak. And I, I see this as a huge, uh, again, just opportunity to grow in the profession and something, uh, new experience. Um, over that time at Curry, I got to be very clear on if I were to move on, what are the priorities for me? What are the things that I'd be looking for? And, I mean, quite honestly, Union College and the hockey program checked every single box, and it was an absolute no-brainer for me, and I was super excited to get the opportunity. Yeah, and you're coming to a program which did not play last season because of the pandemic. Um, I, mean, recruit, I mean, with the recruiting now, I mean, how was that effective? Have you had a chance to be out on the road since you started? Well, yes, actually. The summer's been productive for me that way because – I started, I guess it was late May or 1st of June, something like that. And the uh, blackout recruiting restrictions dropped June 1st. So I was able to get around this summer quite a bit and see different hockey in different areas. And uh, it's been been great for me because one of the things that I've had to do is sort of uh, change my perspective, like the lens at which I'm watching a hockey game and players is different now than it was at Curry College. And to get out and see different areas, different levels, different uh, players that I maybe some I haven't seen and uh, has been really, really good for me so I could hit the ground running going into, into this year. Uh, one thing that was really helpful was in the past year, Division Three. I don't know how, <laughs> why, but we were not banned from recruiting. Huh. So all year I was able to go out recruiting and so what I also did was I uh, scouted for the Omaha Lancers in the USHL. So I, I really got a good grasp of some of the younger age groups, particularly in New England. And uh, that's been very helpful here early on, just to know the player pool, to know the coaches, to know the advisors and the different uh, people that are, that are around the game at some of the younger age groups. Because when you're, when you're recruiting at Division Three, you're primarily – looking at 19 and 20 year olds and it's a little bit different how much fun is it going to be uh once the puck drops uh october 8th up in new hampshire oh yeah that's going to be great it's going to be i mean for me it'll be super exciting something new uh and i I just can't wait to see the players i mean these guys they they didn't play for a year so they're going to be chomping at the bit. I'm sure Rick and John will be uh, fired up as well, and it'll be really uh, an exciting time, and, and probably controlling emotions will be one of the more important factors. Yeah. What's your career goal? Do you want to get to be a head coach at Division One? You know, I imagine that would be that's the goal. Uh, I'm not there yet today. <laughs> I, I, as far as wh- where my head's at, I'm really just focused on uh, trying to to do as good a job as I can here at Union and see what's next. Like, you know, I'm not somebody who's looking to jump around. I mean, I was at at Curry for nine years, so uh, I want to grow. I want to be with good people. And I want to be somewhere where I feel I can have an impact and. Uh, you know, those are things that sort of drive me on a day-to-day. 
uh, if the opportunity to be a head coach presents itself again in the future, you know, certainly that would be exciting. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winners in the Daily Gazette's You Pick Em and Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. The pro football season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette You Pick 'em Football Contest. Predict the winners of the weekly games via your You Pick 'em online account. The fan with the most correct points each week gets his or her name in the Daily Gazette on Thursday and wins a $100 ShopRite grocery card. The fan with the most overall points after 23 weeks wins a $1,000 travel voucher and could win a trip to Hawaii. For official rules, go to dailygazette.com slash football. The You Pick Em Football Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Union Women's Hockey Coach Josh Skiba. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 4 winner in the Daily Gazette You Pick Em Football Contest is Jesse Roberts of Schenectady. Jesse wins a $100 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Jesse. The VIP winner is Coltman Eastman of Emmerich Sales and Service. The Week 30 winner in the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is Edith Schultz of Schoharie. Edith wins a $50 grocery gift card. Congratulations, Edith. The VIP winner is Jerry Peel of Frank and Sons. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of each contest. The You Pick Em winner's name will appear in Thursday's Daily Gazette, while the Auto Racing Contest winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. If you would like to play in either contest, go to dailygazette.com and click on the link for contest and promotions. The NFL season is underway, and that means you can see my picks and where you can watch the games. Go to dailygazette.com slash category slash sports to see my picks and the TV listings. I went 8-8 eight eight week 4, and I'm 35-29 and 29 for the year. Keep checking out DailyGazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you are doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I would like to thank Tim Healy and TJ Manisterski for being on the show. I'll have another podcast Thursday focusing on Union College hockey. I'll have interviews from Tuesday's media availability with the men's and women's teams. Plus, I'll be speaking with goalie Garrett Nieto. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Party Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Party Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Party Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports. <laughs>